0: This morning, our passage of scripture comes from Acts 18, verse 18. If you would open your Bible or your device and read along with me in Acts 18, 18 through 28. Acts 18 says this. After this, Paul stayed many days longer, then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Sincre, he had, his, had cut his hair for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills, and he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church, and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next, through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he only knew the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him, the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who, through grace, had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Good morning EBF my name is Tim Allen and I have the privilege of serving here as lead pastor I just want to say thank you for all of the encouragement prayer and support along the way just a little bit of a family update for us we are planning on moving or actually making the drive to Evanston next weekend and then when our things arrive moving in the weekend after that and so thank you for just all those uh the questions and the encouragement that you have been sending us thank you too for the opportunity to connect with many of you via phone call or video chat those that I've not yet been able to connect with I look forward to doing so very soon and I have to admit this is this is a challenge uh bringing the word of God to bear on a church that I I I love this church already so deeply but I look forward to those personal relationships and being able to to apply the word of God even more deeply through that personal proximity but I I know that's coming but I just want to reveal that as a personal uh, just a challenge that I that I face. Uh, it's hard, it's hard to do this through a camera lens, and I'm sure we're all feeling that way in this season as well. But I can't wait to be there in person soon. Also, uh, a date for you to circle is October 11th. That Sunday, we're going to try a little experiment. Uh, after the the virtual worship service, what we're going to do is a group Zoom call with our entire church together to celebrate communion. Now, this is based on our conviction. Through 1 Corinthians 11 on doing so when we come together, and so we're going to try this as an experiment, as an extension of the worship service, to worship God through prayer, worship God through the Lord's table, and to do so in a creative way. And so I just encourage you to circle that date. You'll be hearing more about that, and the the link will be sent out. And also I would encourage you to gather some communion supplies if if you don't have some on hand, or we would be happy as a church to uh, drop some supplies off for you if you are in need of those. Uh, We are at the beginning here of a brand new series, exploring the church in Ephesus. And this is a church that is near and dear to my heart and a church that I believe speaks so much to us as a church, and also to what we are experiencing together, not only together, but in our community and in this world as well. We are going to be starting off by looking at the birth of the church in Ephesus in a series called God's gracious gospel, looking at Acts 18 through 20. Then we'll turn to the letter to the church in Ephesus, looking at our unity in Christ. And then finally, we'll be looking at our first love, the challenge to the church in Ephesus from Revelation 2 verses one through seven. So I would encourage you to be reading those passages ahead of time, particularly there in Acts and in Ephesians, soaking in those passages, marinating in them and we look forward to this this upcoming series it's going to take us some time but uh, going along and looking at the unity that we have because of what christ has done would you join me in a word of prayer he has told you oh man what is good and what does the lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your god our Father, our hearts are heavy this morning. We have found our hearts heavy for many mornings this year in our nation. We admit that we don't know everything about the Brianna Taylor story, God, but we know enough to feel profound sorrow, anger, weariness, and a deep longing for that day when all will be made new. As your daughters and sons, we cry out for wisdom, that you would increase our spiritual fervor, and God, that you might give us gospel tenacity. We need you, Lord. Our church needs you. Our community needs you. Our country needs you. Our world needs you. Father, increase our longing and passion for justice and our zeal for acting justly. Show us who around us today, Lord, needs our advocacy and more than righteous indignation in this moment, O God. We ask for radical servanthood. Father, we admit that loving kindness is easy when it is directed toward us. We are grateful that your mercies are new every morning, God. Show us who you would have us extend mercy toward today. Who needs the the life-giving hope of the gospel? And who needs tangible expressions of your kindness? O God, may we walk humbly with you this day and every day. And instead of false modesty, would you give us true humility patterned after your son, Jesus Christ? Help us to get up and walk with you into the mess, into the brokenness, into the pain, into the injustices that we see around us. May the gospel of your kingdom expand. And Father, as we open your life-giving word this morning, would you help us to hear it with open hearts, to believe it, to understand it, and to respond to it in faithfulness and obedience, giving you honor and glory in all that we think, do, and say. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. At the end of the gospel according to Luke, we discover the risen Savior appearing to this fledgling band of disciples in the midst of their fear and their worship and their doubt and everything that was happening among them. We see him appear to them and say, Peace to you. He comforts their hearts, shows them the scars in His hands and His feet, opens their minds to understand the Scriptures, and says to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high." The curtain falls on Act 1 of Luke-Acts, this magnificent drama that really is like two acts put together, or two volumes of one united work. But then as the curtain lifts on Act 2 in the book of Acts, we see Jesus gather his disciples together and declaring before his very ascension, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. If Luke is all about, as as Acts one one says, all that Jesus began to do and teach, Acts is all about what Jesus continues to do and teach through his disciples, all in the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the, the sweeping theme of Acts, the great sweeping theme that is displayed throughout the entire book is the unstoppable advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit through his faithful followers all according to the plan of God. Like the gospel according to Luke, Acts was written by Luke, a reliable historian and somebody who who interviewed eyewitnesses and carefully investigated these things. He was a physician by trade, a dear friend and co-worker of Paul's, a ministry companion, and in fact, at some points in the storyline in Acts, the narrator changes to we, first person plural. This is when Luke accompanied Paul on his journeys. He most likely had a Gentile background since Paul names him separately from his Jewish companions, especially in Colossians 4. And one beautiful thing to note is that he was with Paul to the very end of his life. In fact, Paul writes in 2 Timothy 4:11, "Only Luke is with me." Luke wrote to a man named Theophilus, a name that means "one who is loved by God" or "one who loves God." And taking our cues then from Luke 1:4, Theophilus was someone who was in need of confirmation and assurance in his newfound faith. And it is possible that he was the patron that sponsored the writing and the putting together of this magnificent work, Luke and Acts. In many ways, Acts 1, 8 then provides the structure or the framework of the entire book. It begins, and you will receive power in Acts 1 through 2. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in chapters 3 through 5. Then in all Judea and Samaria in chapters 6 through 12. And then to the ends of the earth from chapters 13 through 28. In Acts, we see how faithful witnesses transformed by God's gracious gospel took Christ's worldwide disciple-making mandate to heart and took the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Here we find the Apostle Paul as actually what we're going to do then, a little something, something a little different is fast forward in the narrative to the material in Acts that surrounds the birth of the church in Ephesus, looking particularly or starting off in Acts eighteen. And here we find the Apostle Paul who who, if you think, if you remember back to his background, as a religious leader, he fiercely persecuted the church, terrorized the church, imprisoned and stood over and approved of executions of followers of Jesus Christ but his life was dramatically transformed by the gospel. He had the risen Savior appear to him on the road to Damascus, and then God began using him powerfully in so many people's lives in raising up disciples and cultivating leaders and planting churches over the course of several missionary journeys and beyond. Let's pick up the story, though, toward the end of Paul's second missionary journey in Acts 18. I would like to start by reading verses 1 through 17. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks." When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshipper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if, I were, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal, and they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. In this passage, God encouraged a weary and fearful Paul by establishing last, lasting friendships, by providing work, by bringing reinforcements to what he was doing there in Corinth, opening doors, transforming leaders, and pouring out his promises and granting them protection from harm. Church, God's reassurance in his, troubled, in his troubled people at crucial times is an essential ingredient to persevering, persevering in the midst of a fallen world. The stage is now set for our main text today in Acts 18, verses 18 through 28. I would invite you to turn there if you haven't already. But This passage reinforces the importance of gospel-centered disciple-making and gives us practical examples of what it looks like what it looks like in people's lives. In our time together, we're going to explore five aspects of gospel-centered disciple-making. Five aspects demonstrated in the lives of Priscilla, Paul, Priscilla, Aquila, and Apollos. And all of these aspects of disciple-making cause us to re-examine our own disciple-making. And my heart for, for us as a church is that we would grow in our passion for making and multiplying disciples of Jesus Christ. Let's dive in, though, beginning with the first aspect. The first aspect is deploying trained disciples. Deploying trained disciples. Paul raised up, brought along, and deployed Priscilla and Aquila to engage in gospel-centered discipleship in Ephesus. Look at verse 18 in the beginning of 19. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Syncrea, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow, and they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. This section from verses 18 all, all the way actually to 22 brings Paul's second missionary journey to an end. And it also previews the third missionary journey, where the primary place in that journey is going to be in Ephesus. As Paul leaves Corinth, he brings along Priscilla and Aquila with him. We're first introduced to them at the beginning of chapter 18, but they are a Jewish background believing couple who were tent makers by trade like Paul. And what's fascinating and unusual is that Priscilla's name, when they're listed together, Priscilla's name is almost always listed first. This could be due to her higher social status or her prominence in the Christian community or both. They were in Corinth, though, because the Roman Emperor Claudius had issued an edict expelling the Jews from Rome in AD 49, but they would become lifelong friends and key ministry partners of Paul. Just listen to the way that Paul describes and talks about them in Romans 16, verses 3 to 4. He says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. There in, at the end of verse 18, when it says, At Syncrea he had cut his hair. I, th- every time I read that, I can't help but think about being in seminary and taking a class called Acts, Paul, and General Epistles with D.A. Carson. Dr. Carson, so, uh, just one of my absolute favorite professors there prolific author and amazing man of God. But he would give these quizzes that were kind of notorious for their difficulty. And one of the questions he asked was, where did Paul get his haircut? By the grace of God, I got that question right. Sincrea, where did Paul get his haircut? But what I know, what I think is that Dr. Carson was trying to remind us that every detail in scripture matters and to instill in us a love for and just a combing through of God's word. But anyway, Paul had probably allowed his hair to grow long after taking a vow for a period of special devotion to God.